takes a long haul from his flask. It's raining. It's always fucking raining these days. He holds the newspaper over his head and stumbles drunkenly across the courtyard of the Rapscallion's Manor. Trips on the first stair, stumbles on the second, lurches on the third, and peels through the doorway on the fourth. Whoa! God, is it wet out there? Anybody up in here? Yo, I said, is anybody up in here? Arabet throws the newspaper onto the table, looks at it. Goddamn lantern ghost is at it again. Delilah leans out of the way of the splash from the wet newspaper and says, we got something a little bigger going on. Well, it's a good thing I'm in a good mood. Just wait. Calder enters from the basement wearing a very fine dressing gown, uh, looking a little bit curious. Good morning. What's, uh, what's all the fuss about? Is there uh, coffee yet? Yeah, I can use a cup of coffee. I helped myself and put some on for you. Hey, Delilah. Yes? Early in Tukes, Glenn Arkwright, 10-year-old. And all kinds of it. You can smell him from here, and he's 10 paces away. Arabic catches Delilah's eye. Smiles. I've been recruiting. Wrath and runes, but why now? Recruiting? For the war, of course. Perhaps I did not make the coffee strong enough. Calder chokes slightly. <clears throat> no, no, it's uh, it's quite strong enough. Positively military. All back to them with good old underbanks and overbanks and underhills and overhills and undertowns and overtowns. They're all joining us. Not right now, though. Soon. Drink some coffee, Ben. Happy to. So you had stuff that was going to put me in a good mood. She picks up what appears to be a small, dull metal box and says, We're made. Calder almost spits his coffee out. <clears throat> what, what did you say? We're made. Didn't know we were in there. Calder slowly puts down his mug. How do you know this? How do they know this? That was flawless. How they know, I'm not sure. How I know is my Ursa telling me we had to leave Bailey Mina. She knows better than that. Oh my. She said Despard's got a plan to make everything better around here. And I don't want to see what a man like that considers better. His kind of better involves a whole lot of body bags. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains coarse language and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then dig, if you will, the mysteries, magic and mayhem, which follow a felonious fellowship's forays from salons and saloons into parlors of power and places unknown in, around, above, and beneath Byzantine Bailey Mina. Having returned from an autumn spent lost in the dream, will our fiends survive the winter in the city of steel and steam? We could tell you all about it, but we'd rather show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallions. So get ready, Runatics, and let's roll. What did she say? 
to her when the closes arrive and back and says, She said she missed me, but that the kidnapping of her was all business. And once they were through, Despard and Swan would let her go. And that's why I should keep my nose out of it. It was just about the acre and Copper Penny. Think carefully, did they say anything about the acre? Did they say, what did they say specifically about the Copper Penny? She was talking about Thrasher, that he'd never done anything for us, which ain't even true. But she didn't mention the Lost Acre specifically, but she chews on her lip. That's actually pretty good news. I think that line about Thrasher was more to say something to me than anything else. Yeah, that's what I mean. What do you think she was saying? Well, they what they it's what they didn't say. If they didn't say anything about me, he doesn't consider me a threat. This is good. And that they want you gone means that they really consider you a threat. But why is that? Why are you such a damn threat? Like, hit me if I'm too drunk here, but, you know, it seems to me they gave you information without meaning to. No, I think that was Ursa giving me information, not what they had fed her. I think they want me gone because I throw something unpredictable into the mix. It's probably beginning to get clear that there's a good reason I'm not a master of the guild yet. Because if I put my mind to it, I would be. And instead, I have a district that loves me and don't pay much rent. I think we can rest assured that's not the sort of change that Despot has in mind. Even if Ursa was able to smuggle this information to you, my question, Alina, is do they know that we know that they know? Well, it's clear that we've been made. Now that they're blackmailing, forcing Ursa to peddle these, this nonsense to Delilah. And good on Ursa for being clear-minded enough to help ensure that we receive the correct message. That's my bear. But I wonder, did they know that Ursa was successful in this? Does it matter? Well, I think it could be quite consequential for us. I mean, being made is certainly not the optimal outcome. But if we know that we've been made and they don't know that we know we've been made, that does create a certain opportunity. I don't know. I always thought there were like three things we wanted from this. There was this, the, the, the bear, of course, Ursa. We want her out and free and back into Delilah's parlor. And, and we want that, that stupid necklace, the constellation, which I promised we'd get. And we want to fund a revolution. Isn't that right, Delilah? You want a revolution, right? You want to change the order of things. So those three things there, none of this information changes any of that. Doesn't even change really how we go about doing it, except we know they know. They know that you have the revolution in mind and it ain't what they want. They know that we're after the necklace because they got Ursa, right? And they know we want Ursa. So what else is there to do? I'll give you two thirds on that one. Ursa and I never talked about a revolution. A little bit, it was because it was always the way things were gonna go. But a lot of it was so she didn't have to know. So I wouldn't say that one's foregone. Oh yeah, but didn't Shakir just say it a minute ago or so? Or was that Calder? I can't remember. That your district is different. It, Maybe it was you that said that. You said it. You just said it. That district is different. 
I did, and yours is getting that way too. And that is because you're here. They're not afraid of me. I suspect they don't even need to know of Delilah's grander plans. I think simply the existence of such an acre and the possibility of seeing it spread to the lost acre is enough for them to want to squash this. We watched one of those nice Underhill kids squash one of Despard's boys the other day. And that was a beautiful sight. And you gotta say, you gotta agree with me here, Delilah. They know you made that happen and they don't like it. My question is, how did Despard and Swan get so goddamn smart? I mean, I accidentally almost stole that goddamn thing. Wow, however many years ago that was now, with Stitch. You almost got your hands on it then too, so from what you're telling me. It would have if it wasn't for you. Well, yeah, you know. What for fools and idiots, right? But what was it gonna say? Uh, yeah, you gotta stop interrupting me. My train of thought's not so solid right now. Well, while you uh, <clears throat> recombobulate yourself, friend, let me ask this. Given that we've been made, and that our plan or our goals in no way changed, what's next? Well, I have not yet returned to Swans. We probably should decide whether or not I should. And what, fun Swan with that exorbitant sum of money for the bobble? It's not like he's hurting for money. Yes, but we are. I'm actually more worried about this. Going back to the who knows what gives what to whom or what, is that, Shakir, if you go back there, they've got you. Do they know about you? None of that money Shakir would be taking is ours. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, if he goes there with that money, first of all, Despard's never gonna let that money, Despard wants that money. Don't, don't, don't get yourself even if Swan does and Despard does. And if he goes back there, he's a target all the way there and back. And if he goes back there and walks into that place, they've got him. Like you said, you can't bite your way out of there. You said that to me the minute when you were in there. Before you even went in there, you said you can't fight your way out. So if you, what's the sense in going back? I think you should stay the fuck away from there because it's just your death sentence if they know about you. On the other hand, if they don't know about you, you can pay any time. I don't know how we'd go about finding out. Maybe. Swans is still one of the pillars of the business community. Perhaps we simply send payment via messenger. Uh, Shakir, would it be possible to send a promissory note? Well, that's what I would be taking. I did. I'm not foolish enough to carry cash. Uh, I could. Ha I had the. I can have the bank. Oh yes, we need to talk about that. So, I went to the bank, and I feel like this is where things get even more complicated. And this may answer some of our questions. While I was there, I ran into an old acquaintance and we had a conversation and he told me that he was planning on stopping by my place uh, pretty much the day that Delilah and I met but when he arrived my sister was there I told Delilah this but I have not told anyone else the night we met I do not know how to explain it I had a dream my friend Dugan who was killed. This is what brought me into this whole thing. He was killed when I was trying to help Delilah from Giggles. He was killed. The dream I had, Dugan told me someone was coming to my home to kill me. But my sister came to the door instead and we saw no one else. I had hoped, I hoped that it was just a coincidence, but I do not believe it is. 
I believe that this man that I met at the bank was coming to try and kill me. You keep some friends, eh? I believe your instincts serve you quite well, Fred. And Calder looks meaningfully at Arabet. Trust us. We are well acquainted with the power of dreams. This is not something to be ignored. Were you able to get your funds from the bank? I did not. The situation was strange enough, and the feeling I got from the conversation led me to believe it would not be wise to take the money at that time. I would need to do so when there would not be anyone potentially watching me if we decide that I should go back. At the very least, it would give them the impression that we do not know that they know about us. Because what fool would go back? And I can keep talking to Ursa too. She said she'd call back today, but but there's something bothering me about what you were saying. You you realize no one really knew you were gone, right? Somebody did. Thrasher did. I wouldn't put it past Molly. Oh, that is an intriguing opportunity. Calder squints a little. To the best of my knowledge, my absence was well covered by Berlin too. And uh, they continue to provide uh, the face of most of the operations that I am interested in bailing in currently. So. Hmm. Well, I think we send the draft. I think it ensures that our adversaries are unaware that we have divined their knowledge about our operation. And it also does not expose Shakir or any of us to potential capture. And given Swan's standing, we could have no choice but to continue with the work. Shakir, does that, does that sound right to you? It is your money, after all. And in all honesty, I am probably the only one who could go back without significant risk. I may be on the outs with my family, but there is no way in the world that if something happened to me, they would not do everything they could to investigate and find reprisal in such ways. And as I believe you know, their resources dwarf swans considerably. Well then, is there any advantage to having Shakir back inside the perimeter of swans? I do not know that there is much I could do when I was there, but it would still send the message, or at least send the impression that we are not aware of their knowledge of us. Delilah nods. Swan never did think I was real bright. All right, well, if you were Despard, and you thought that you had ferreted out our true intentions, what trap would you lay? I'd send a friend to kill a friend. Well, it seems that perhaps he's eager to do this in a more quiet or subtle way. I'm surprised by that, but note that his direction to Ursa was to urge Delilah to simply leave. I can imagine how that conversation went. I don't know that you can, but... For love, right? Not for money. That means that Arisa doesn't know about your friend there. Is that right? She nods. I figured we could do introductions later when it was a little safer. Good call. So... They haven't told her or they don't know. Which means, Shakira, you're in the clear. But then, why would your friend want to kill you? I, I do not know that friend is ever a good description. His name is Ephraim McManus. He was my commanding officer when I was in the military. Brothers in arms. 
Yes. He, I, Dugan, uh, another of our companions. Uh, we were, yes, compan- brothers in arms, I suppose is a way to put it. Things happened while we were serving uh, that tied the four of us together. Of the four of us, he and I are the only left. And he would profit considerably from my death. Are you sure that Dugan's death was an accident? Not anymore. That is another thing. If he is working with Despard, and it seems likely that he is, that could be how some of these connections were put together. McManus is a clever man. And he is also the only person I am not certain I could beat in a fight. That is quite a thing you just said. You ain't going to be fighting alone this time, Shakir. And for a moment, Shakir, your eyes can't see where you are because they're remembering somewhere far away up the skein that all that fire and all that noise and all that haste and McManus, the cause of all of it. You pull yourself back into the room. Bacon and eggs, anyone? I'll cook. You know, Arabetta, I, I think you're always hungry. You've got me confused with Tim. So, Shakir, I think... I think that you should go in person, given the pedigree of your family and the protection it affords you. I think that will be most convincing that we are unaware of uh, their awareness of what we're doing if you went in person to deliver the draft, no? Yes, I agree. And while I cannot promise that nothing will happen, I believe I am the only person that it is less likely to happen to. We'll just have to cheat and make sure nothing happens to you. If they have eyes enough to have put this together, I should probably go alone. I am quite capable of taking care of myself if I must. Oh, that's not what I mean. Maybe you should take your sister for a sizing. That could prove complicated. Interesting. Hard to kidnap two Ascaris, never mind one. Just a thought. I'm going to cook eggs. Uh, As Arabet goes off to start cooking, Shakir will look over at Delilah smile a little bit. You told me he was intelligent. It actually took a moment or two for Calder to notice the Nigel standing next to him. They do make a habit of being discreet and quiet, but Calder usually notices them, but today is deep in thought. He's looking forward to having Shakir and Delilah over. The problem, the puzzle of Shakir's... How Shakir shall best carry his rifle is something that he's been preoccupied with uh, since uh, since the matter had been brought to his attention. He was quite intrigued by it and looking forward to the commission. After realizing that Nigel was there, uh, Calder looked up from his notes and said, oh, uh, Hello, Nigel. Yes, what is it? And after being informed that his guests uh, were in the shop, Calder gets up from uh, the bench table that he's working at in the courtyard of his estate and goes up to the front to meet his friends. Hello, Shakir. Delightful for you to come by. Thank you so much. I I must confess I'm rather looking forward to this. It's uh, been a while since I've had a project of this. Well, it was much fun. Happy to provide. Thank you. Not at all. Come follow me. We're set up in the courtyard. Shakir will allow Calder to lead on and we'll follow behind. Many fascinating uh, trinkets and uh, curiosities catch your eyes. You weave through the store and then the 
clutter falls away as you get to the back space. And, uh, a few moments later, you find yourself in quite a, a surprisingly spacious courtyard. As uh, you uh, enter the estate, the, the full house of uh, Calder, Master Lot Calder, uh, which uh, is not seen to be congruous with that tiny little shop up front, but uh, nonetheless, here we are. Here in the courtyard, uh, you see corner to corner, a stand has been set up with a large target, a bullseye target on it, and uh, a table, uh, actually a couple of tables and some benches in the other corner. So Shakir, I thought perhaps we'd begin with uh, you just showing me how you use your rifle. I'd like to fully understand, uh, well, what you need. I'm not much one for this sort of uh, weapon. You, uh, would you indulge me? As you wish. So Shakir will get up and will kind of demonstrate as he needs to. Um, he'll, you know, put the rifle up against his shoulder from a standing position, showing how he looks through the, the scope of it to aim. Uh, we'll also demonstrate from a, almost from a neat, well, from a kneeling position as well as from a prone position, just kind of the, the various methods that would be used. It's a little clunky at first, but as he gets into it, all of his training returns to him and he is putting it up and aiming and firing as if he were still back in the army. Calder watches fascinated. He's particularly impressed that after not very long, the speed and fluidity of Shakir's firing is it's like poetry. Tell me, Shakir, would you ever want to access or, or put away the rifle while lying down? I, I had not considered that at all, the use of a rifle. Well, normally I would not be worried about drawing it. If I were in that sort of position, the speed and ease of draw would not be as much of a concern. This is much more of a ambush style of preparation or you know something where I would have taken up this position ahead of time so it would not be as necessary to get it out and perhaps put it back in as much of a hurry yes yes I see excellent uh, tell me Shikir, how many um, bullets for the rifle do you, do you typically carry not many normally it is not the sort of situation where I would need many shots, but uh, also I do not have, <laughs> I have not had it long enough to accumulate a, a good stock yet. Ah, I see. But typically more is better. Well, the more you have, the more you can fire, but it also weighs you down and burdens you. There is a balance you have to strike. Uh, Calder responds with a very broad smile with that. Excellent. Uh, would, would you mind if I uh, examine the rifle for a moment? Certainly. And he'll take it and hand it to Calder. He'll check it and make sure that everything's secure from before doing so. Thank you. Uh, Calder quite clearly seems a little bit awkward holding it. Uh, uh, but once he gets it down to the table, he takes out a number of calipers and different measuring tools. He takes out a, a monocle from one of his pockets. You can see a kind of spark or almost give off a blue sheen as he very carefully inspects it. After a few moments, Calder says, uh, that's excellent, you, you can take it back now. Shakir will take it and sling it over his shoulder, and at this point he'll also uh, pull his cloak to the side and unstrap one of the pistol holsters that he has uh, on his left leg and hold it up. I was thinking if we could use something like this, modify it perhaps. I, I know I have met some who have a similar sort of contraption that would allow a larger weapon to be held in the the case for a smaller one. I've known some swordsmen who have a scabbard that turns their sword into the size of a dagger. Yes, of course. Please further indulge me, Shakir. Would you please um show me using the uh, pistol with the holster, drawing it and shooting and putting it back? Very well. And Shakir will pull his cloak completely back to make it easier. And oddly enough, Shakir draws and fires with his left hand, 
even though he normally uses his weapons and was using using his right hand to fire the rifle, he reaches down to his leg, pulls the pistol out, and then aims and fires with the same, basically all in the same motion. Now, for the rifle, I was thinking if we could perhaps change the configuration so that it would, uh, I could draw it from underneath my arm. And then Shakir will kind of show, he'll take the holster he unstrapped and place it where he was thinking he would hold it or where he would have it, you know, arranged under his, under his left arm. It would not be quite as simple to draw a larger weapon from the leg, but I could uh, from underneath my arm and you would need to arrange the straps in a way that would secure it there. But I think that would be more uh, conducive to, to ease of use than what I currently have. Yes, yes. No, no, I, I understand. Tell me, Shakir, when this holster for your rifle is under your arm, how do you imagine it will come out? Barrel first or stock first? Uh, Shakir will actually kind of like unsling the rifle again and hold it uh, in his right hand and then kind of pantomime the way it would look obviously, you know, having this ridiculous rifle stuck under his left arm uh, just to kind of demonstrate in, in that fashion. I believe I would draw with myself holding the the stock and then pulling out the, the barrel would go into the holster is how I thought it would work. Excellent. Excellent. Now, uh, may I please see the holster? Of course. And Shakir will hand the holster to Calder. Calder seems much more comfortable with this object, but once again, he puts it on the table and uh, calipers, and rulers, plumb line. The monocle again comes out in a very, very close examination. When he finishes, he stands up and hands the holster back. And at the moment, he cocks his head up and says, I'm, I'm sorry, this is uh, tiresome. Please, uh, please stand over here. Calder just motions to the short end of this long table. As you wish. And he'll proceed to that part of the table. So, I I believe I understand both uh, both objects, but to, to ensure that I am absolutely corrected, would you please inspect them? And with that, Calder waves a hand, shimmering to a uh, to existence, not a not an actual rifle, but a an obvious facsimile of some kind. But it's floating above the table and slowly rotating. If you touch to move it, it'll move it. This is currently what I have for the design of a rifle to go into the holster. Can you please ensure that I have it correct. Shakir will look at it, walk back and forth a little bit, maybe even crouch down to to look at it from another angle. And then kind of look at Calder. Uh, what should I do to correct? Just uh, just show me what's wrong. Describe it to me. Very well. And he'll take another look. Uh, the holster would need uh, the opening a little wider to accommodate the fact that the rifle will possibly also have the scope along with it. But other than that, he kind of motions a little bit. Uh, at some of the dimensions, I think yes, I think I think this will work. Excellent. In terms of the scope, uh, how much clearance? Uh, it would be another three inches from the the body of the rifle. Calder does a little flicking gesture, and you see it grow. He says, "Like this?" Yes, much more like that. Excellent. Now, uh, if you would uh, be so kind as to uh, raise your left arm. All right. And he will do so. Calder doesn't really acknowledge uh, or give him a nod because he's already ready to work. And while he doesn't lay Shakir down on the table, all the same calipers and and, uh, rulers uh, and definitely the monocle uh, come out after a few moments. uh, Calder is excellent. Well, that's everything uh, I need. Yes. I believe I'll have something for you to uh, 
to review in, in about one week. Does that suit you? Excellent. Wonderful. And Calder escorts them away. Shakira and Delilah return to the good city of Bailey Mina. The scene changes then to the west side of Copperpenny Row. As Arabet and Delilah walk up the sidewalk abreast. With his hands jammed into the pockets of his pea coat, his face wears a pensive expression, and his eyes bear a distracted look. In fact, he seems to just be following Delilah, who is picking their path through the crowd as they go. Presently, the distracted look leaves his eyes, and Arabet turns his attention to his present company. I owe you an apology. One of many, I'm sure, but I owe you an apology right now. Oh, what makes you say that? I have enough money to pay you off, but I can't. What's your money going to? You're about to find out, because we're about to do it. I kind of brought you along today to make sure this went off without a hitch. Security. Well, I'll try and get in the way of any hitches I see coming. What did you think of Mumbles? Clarice. She don't want to work for you or for herself. Please send her on down to the Bramble. She's not much of a choice. She's going to work for me and for you. Oh, and most importantly, for herself. That's good. Someone like that ain't going to work for somebody else for too long. Well, when I say work for you and me, I kind of mean that really loosely as in hold up a corner of the neighborhood, so to speak. And that bit about the buster, totally worth it. I mean, they did pull a buster job. Yeah, but I'm talking about the pay station. We have an ingress and an egress. That shit is worth gold. I know, that's going to be really useful. So in a roundabout way, you're helping finance this whole next part of this. So, you know, I'm sorry for taking advantage of your generosity. Hey, there's Bagelman's cart. I mean, the bagel cart. The bagel cart. Yeah, I don't know if it's Bagelman's still. Is it still Bagelman's? Yeah, I wasn't going to let Bagelman's go anywhere unless it was to the Bramble. Do you remember that day when we met at the bagel cart and I had just walked out of the whorehouse? I do. That's my mom's place. You had that look on your face that said it had something to do with family anyway. Yeah. We're going in there. The front door this time, though. If you ever decide you want to look in on Tim, Mir's the one down at the end of the street. Madame Miriam's there. Okay. Okay. Let's see how this goes first. As you approach the vestibule, there hovers into view a tall, lean, hard-looking man wearing his brushy mustache in the Estamondine style, with a short-sleeved shirt and cordy arms that speak of his prowess as a boxer. Arabet, you know this man very well. Bonjour, Georges. Bonjour, Etienne. And you do, Tom? Oui, ça marche, mais... It's been a while since we have seen you around here. What brings you by? There's a business meeting with my mom. I did not think she had any business scheduled today. Georges, she's not setting the meeting. I am. Where are your manners, Etienne? Georges, no fucking around. I need your help with this. And what sort of help can I give you today, Etienne? You're packing your bags for Estimont. No way. As the time come, it would take more money than we have today. It would take more money than we have this year. Can you tell me how we are going to get back to Beirut? 
I told you, this is a business meeting. Back out. May we enter? Please, come in. It's Delilah, and I'm with him. Oh, and Georges. We attend. When Clarice comes, you'll let her in. Clarice, she's not welcome. Oh, all right then. I will see to uh, my routine. Uh, yes, Mademoiselle. He nods to Delilah, tips his cap, and he goes inside. The first thing that you notice in here, Delilah, is the way that the moods have all been arranged. And by that, I mean to say that over there in the booths, where the conversations and negotiations and small talk goes on before the big event, there's a whole lot of sexy pushed into that area. Over by the automated gambling machines, there's a palpable feeling of lucky. And as you sidle up to the bar, tap it with two fingers to signal the bartender about how much scotch you'd like, you can feel a thrill of amicability run up your arm from the elbow. Somebody has spent a long time tuning this mood to this frequency, this timbre, this sound. And they did a good job of it. This is old school. Despite the fact that there is no sawdust on the floor, this is a good old-fashioned sawdust on the floor cat house. As we walk in, I say, that was my job. Originally, I was supposed to learn to do that job. Yeah, that was the job they wanted me to do. I'm a little bit nervous. I think you'll do fine, and I think you made the right choice. Delilah kind of shoulder bumps Arabet. Uh, in the process, conveying bardic inspiration upon him. Bonjour. As he passes the bar, the whole staff lights up and welcomes him as though he is one of their own because he is. Mes amis, donnez-nous, donnez-nous la chambre. As you pass through Arabet, you get the usual pats on the back and handshakes and waves and all this other sort of thing. She's not in the garden today, unfortunately. It's too late for roses. Today, you know she'll be up in the office because this is when she does the books. As you go upstairs and wind your way through the various rooms, you push your way through the bead curtain, which somehow completely obscures the view of the hallway back to her office. And as you enter the room, you see Meliand sitting there. Your mother looks at you through the glasses, which she has artfully arranged on her nose, and slowly takes them off for maximum effect. Regally, she folds the arms of the spectacles and places them on her desk and regards you coolly. You note not for the first time that for all of her life, your mother has been someone worth painting. Bonjour. Melinda. Mother, I, uh, I have some uncomfortable news for you. I see you bring a goon to protect you, huh? Goon, Delilah, that's Shakir's job. Delilah doesn't say anything. She just smiles. Mama, there's a war going on in the neighborhoods. Yes, I know. I've made lots of money from both sides, Etienne. What does this concern me? You won't be able to do that anymore. I see, and why not? Because I'm back, and I'm a major player in the war. <laughs> and you gone? You think so much of yourself. Where did you go? And why did nobody notice you? Tasha, he come by here, he asked me if I'd seen you. I said no. No one knew I was gone. Tasha tells me everything. Mother, you're a target now. I refuse to go. Of course you refuse. Whether you've got your dues paid or not, they will burn this place to the ground. 
and I can't have them holding you hostage and holding that over me because despite myself, I still love you. Hey, Delilah. Yes. One of the best things about being a bard is that you can smell a lot. This, well, this isn't one. Delilah wouldn't be here if she thought it was. Why well, know that? You know that. Bet knows that. And Amelia knows that. You watch her melt. She just... That iron wall of composure that you didn't think anything was going to get through. It just dissolves in a wave of mominess. When he says those last three words, she gets it. And in that moment, Clarisse, nobody has stopped you on the way through the door. You've come as the music stops. There's quiet throughout millions. And you present yourself in the door behind Herbert. Hello, Melind. How wonderful to see you again. You. Well, I suppose if it was going to be anyone, it might as well be you. Did you put him up to this? Melind, no hard feelings, yes? You and I both know beauty is fleeting, and someone will always come along that is prettier, smarter, and sharper than you. Us women can have hard exteriors, but our hearts always grow soft and weak. That's when we get taken over. It's now your turn to stand aside for the next generation. Mother. She didn't put me up to it. I went looking for her. Because... If somebody's going to carry on the name of Bechet Melind, it's got to be one of Melind's girls. And what will happen to me then? Where will I go from here? If I'm a target, you must have some plan to take me from Bellymina. Where do I go now? Dorland? Venalu? Dire? Somewhere else? Well, they aren't you and try to hurt you through me, hmm? Mother, I'm not here to have you travel the world like a tramp. What would you have me do then? Where would you have me go? Melin, enough. All these years I've been here, you look past me, you look through me. With that, you raise an eyebrow. It's the first time George has spoken back to her in your memory, and she looks at him and says, Shalsh, you speak out of town. Rebellion, I am sick and tired of waiting for you to come around and see that I have loved only you all of this time. You think I don't like women, you think I don't like men. Melin, for 20 years now, I have loved you from afar, I have watched your door and kept you safe. As you entertain your clients, as you... Enough, Melin. We are done here. We can go home. The gym will be fine. Let him go. The time has come. She stutters a bit and thinks about it. George just stands there with his cap in his hand, shoulders square and his chin raised, finally asking for the one thing that he has wanted all of his life. When we shift our focus, it's later that day. And the IMS Princessa Marissa pulls away from the pier under steam. On the pier, a crowd is gathered to wave handkerchiefs in farewell or throw ticker tape, other garbage into the firth. And the big steamer's engines churn up awake behind it as it chugs merrily off to Berouge and parts beyond. At the back of this ship along the railing, there's a spectator's deck as one might expect and there we see Georges Melind she's snuggled up next to him he has his arm around her she wears a prim dress appropriate for traveling and he wears a broad grin she for her part looks as though she will never see her son again Georges waves enthusiastically and the focus shifts to the dock where Delilah, Arabette, and Mumbles stand in a trio. 
Delilah, it's been fun and all, but you've got something to get to. But you think you're good to go from here? Yeah, I have a few details to go over with Mumbles. I'll be fine. I should not call you Mumbles anymore, Clarice. A more professional name may be more appropriate, though I think Mumbles will have to be kept for the underground name that's, you know, whispered in the dark. Oh, you've got to go talk to Mumbles. Uh, Clarice? Um, here it is. The key. Clarice takes it um, with almost a reverent shaking hand and nods her head, bowing it slightly in thanks, though it pains her to do so. Thank you, Arbet. I always knew you knew where value truly lied. I always liked you. I always knew you had it in you. And as the camera pulls away, we see the Bailey Umina waterfront in all its bustling glory as Delilah picks her way through the crowd towards the cabs and hansoms, which sits waiting at the base of the pier along the firth. Congratulations, Clarice. You are the Madam of Copper Penny Row. Long may you reign. Curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Sednick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Mad Adam. I'm DM Goodbye. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. <laughs> 